1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I, have, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the, the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John chapter 2. We're looking at verses 18 through 27 of chapter 2. We've been working our way through a teaching series uh, through 1 John since the beginning of this year. And we've titled this series, Know That You Know God. Because to know that you know God is heaven on earth. There's absolutely nothing better than intimacy with God. And that is blood-bought. It comes to us through Christ Jesus. It's not something you achieve, it's something that you receive. And uh, intimacy with God is life's most satisfying reality. There's nothing more satisfying than knowing him, walking with him, enjoying him. And uh, so we talked about in length uh, so far conditions for fellowship, and last week we came to the cautions for fellowship, and there are two cautions that he mentions here. Do you guys remember what we talked about last week? What was, the, what was that first caution? Anybody want to help me out? Because I've already forgotten. Okay, I haven't forgotten. Don't love the world. Don't love the world because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you, is what he said. And so now we come to the second caution for fellowship. These are things that will interfere with your intimacy with God. And the second one is beware of Antichrist. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about here. I believe that this text helps us to understand that. Now, you might have heard this, or maybe at least I know that in our pluralistic society, there is an undercurrent of a lot of wrong thinking such as all roads lead to God or it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. You guys know what I'm talking about? And, and so it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Muslims, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, Buddhists, Jews, Christian science, they're, they're, they're good people. They have a good moral standard and, and, and they're sincere in their beliefs. 
And here's the problem with that thinking. Uh, it's, it, you can be sincerely and fatally wrong. Let me give you an illustration of that. I was in the fifth grade. My sister Aloha was in the third grade. We were playing in the living room as my mom was varnishing wood paneling. Now you know what's wrong with us, huh? Some of you, were, you had that in your eyes. I could see how you were looking at me. It's like, oh, now, that, that. now we know why he's messed up. Too much varnish, okay? Okay, so that's what we were doing. My sister was thirsty, went over and guzzled a tall glass on the counter and almost immediately started throwing up blood. And you see, my sister, she sincerely believed that the tall glass on the counter was water, but in reality, it was turpentine. And... um, And so you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. Here's, take a look at your sermon notes. Our beliefs have consequences. So what we believe have consequences in our life. If if we come to believe wrong things about God, we will think, feel, and behave in wrong ways about ourselves and, and life circumstances. And in fact, lies about God will reduce our potential, impair our vision, and imprison our lives. Lies will enslave you. Listen to me. Lies will enslave you, but the truth of God's word will set you free. There's a freedom in in God. And and to the degree you believe a lie is to the degree that you're going to have enslavement happen in your life. If you look at the areas of your life where there's maybe some enslavement happening, it's probably because of lies that you believe. And the way you are set free from that is to understand the truth, to understand the truth of God's word, and it will bring freedom to your lives. And so uh, as we've been working our way through this series, one, uh, there are three signs that John seems to weave in and out of this whole little book, 1 John, and three signs that you are a Christian. And this is, these aren't, don't show you how to become a Christian. Now that we are Christians, he's showing us what it looks like to really have an intimate relationship with God. And here's the three signs. Do you love the Son of God? That's the theological sign. So do you love the Son of God? The second sign is, do you love the people of God? That's the social sign. And the third sign is, uh, do you love the word of God? That's the moral sign. And so this study is on the theological sign. Do you love the son of God? Do you love the son of God? Now, he starts with a warning here. You can see this on your notes. Here's the warning. We are living in the last hour of deception. Beware of antichrist. That's the warning. And look at verse 18. It says, children, starts off with term, a term of endearment. He loves them. He's speaking to them. We are children of God. And that's the idea. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, so they've already heard about this. He's just reminding them. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. 
Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. How do we know that it's the last hour? Because many antichrists have come. And uh, how did they know this already? Well, Matthew 24, verse 5 and 24, uh, Jesus said this, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders. Did you hear that? They're going to do all kinds of signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. 2 Timothy 3.1, but understand, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Isn't that interesting? So the essential point of, of John's teaching is to warn us of influences that could subtly lead us away from God. And now, John seems to be convinced that there, there will be an appearance of a specific antichrist, as he states there. However, he does not give much detail. If you want to know more detail about the antichrist, you need to go to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at verses 3 through 10. But he does emphasize that this antichrist has many forerunners who pose great danger to those walking with God. So here's, here's what I drew from this uh, text. Here's your first fill in the blank. We are running out of time. So there's an urgency in, in John and what he's writing. We are running out of time. Twice he says, in the last hour. Two times in verse 18. The coming of Christ marked the beginning of the last days. And so his first coming started the last days, and his second coming ends those last days. And that's based on 1 Corinthians 10, 11, 1 Peter 4, 7, Hebrews 9, 26. It's all on your notes. You can study that in more detail later. There is a sense of urgency in John's warning. The last hour is an hour in which the spirit of the Antichrist will be increasingly active. Now, it's been 2,000 years since, over 2,000 years since Jesus was here. And so, if ever before, we are truly, truly in the last days. They've all been last days, but even more so, are we running out of time 2,000 years later? And here's the next point. People's lives are hanging in the balance for all eternity. And, and in fact... Um, in verse 25 of our text, he says, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So what's the alternative to eternal life? Anybody help me out? Hell. Yeah, it's uh, eternal death. Heaven or hell? Those are the only two choices. The Bible's really clear about that. And the stakes are eternal life or eternal death. I want that to land on you just for a moment. All the people around us in our lives, coworkers, friends, neighbors, people all around us, they're going to either have eternal life or eternal death. As a paramedic with Phoenix Fire, there were many times when people's lives were hanging in the balance between life and death. 
And it, it, was, it was critical that as, as a paramedic and along with my partner, my captain, who was a paramedic also in our crew, that we were really good with our skills because we can make a difference in people's lives. I have multiple stories. Let me just share with you one. Uh, it was an early morning call in Cantle Golf Course and the guy was getting ready to tee off and he had the big one, he had a heart attack. And then when we got there, he was full code. And so we began to assist his breathing, innovated him, started IVs, and we put the monitor on him, and he was in a V-fib. We shocked him three times. I was the one that shocked him three times, and then he converted. By, we t- by the time we got to the hospital, he was talking to us. Two weeks later, he came to the station and thanked us for saving his life. And then that meant a lot to me. That meant a lot to me to know, man, I, I need to be sharp with my skills because I can make a difference in people's lives, life or death, life or death. But that doesn't even come close to what we're doing because that guy now, it's been a number of years, he's probably gone on. He's he's probably died. My bigger question is where is he spending eternity? Eternal life, eternal death. That's so much more important. So it's so critical that we have our skills up to par, that we know God's word, we know the gospel, We're, we're able to articulate the gospel and help people in understanding how to know Christ. And, uh, and so I, I enjoyed that, and I thought that was really good, and I, I love what the, the fire department does for people's lives. They, they truly save people's lives, but nothing like what we see going on here in our church. We are saving people from eternal death and bringing them into eternal life. Do you hear that? Do you hear how important that is? And so I take it even more seriously, and I think there's that urgency. People's lives are hanging in the balance for all eternity. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that that whoever believes in him would not what? Anybody? Perish, but have everlasting life. So he's, he's showing us in that verse, most popular verse in the Bible. In that verse, he's showing us you're either gonna perish or you're gonna have eternal life. And it's not anything that you can achieve. It's only something you can receive by grace through faith in Christ. And, and so if you're seeing life more as a playground rather than a battleground, you're going to be taken out. I mean, imagine turning a battleground into a playground. You're going to be taken out. And not to say that we shouldn't enjoy life, but underlying all of our enjoyment of life, we've got to keep in mind... There's a battle raging for the hearts and lives of people all around me. So you have to live with the current perspective of eternity. And that's that's healthy, healthy Christian living. And in fact, it tells us in Proverbs 24, 11, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. People that don't know Christ are being taken away, will be taken away to death, and they are stumbling to the slaughter. That's, that's the gospel. That's the truth. That's what the Bible is very clear about. Now, here's the next one. There's an, an, an irreducible, next fill in the blank, there's an irreducible body of truth that people must believe to be a Christian. 
So, you know, when people say, well, I just, I just believe in Jesus. I don't get into all the details, and I just believe in Jesus. Well, what Jesus do you believe in? Because the Mormons have a totally different Jesus. Jehovah Witnesses have a different Jesus. Christian science have a different Jesus. There's all kinds of Jesuses. There's only one true Jesus, and the Bible defines that for us in his word. And so you have to say, well, how would you define him? People say, I just believe in Jesus. So what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe in the personal work of Christ, that he's truly God? He came to rescue us. He died in our place for our sins. Is that what you're saying, that you believe? Then that's great. But, but he's, he's defined in a lot of different ways. And so there is a body of truth that people must believe to be a Christian. That's one of the reasons why we did the doctrine series here. You guys remember that series in this last year? Back to school kind of series. And uh, our key verse was this, 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, on your doctrine. So here, here's what he's saying. Keep a close watch, not only knowing what you believe, but how well your life aligns up with what you believe. And, he, and then he goes on and he says, persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Your salvation is dependent upon it and your influence of others. You can make a difference in people's lives. Even your hearers will be led astray if you're being led astray. You're leading others astray. Acts 4.12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. So, so John saw evidences of the last day not only in the victorious spread of the gospel as this letter is showing us uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, but also the multiplication of false Christ, false prophets, and deceivers in the world. So what are the characteristics of the Antichrist? That's a good question. Look at verse 19. By the way, this verse will help us to answer the question can a person lose their salvation? What do you guys think? Can a person lose their salvation? Okay, this is gonna answer it for you. Here we go. Verse 19, they went out from us. So the people that attended Desert Breeze for a while and then they depart from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be, be, become plain that they are not of us. So yes, they never had salvation. They never put their faith in Christ. They might have gone through the motions. They might have had a mental ascent of Christ and it, it might have been all in their head, but nothing in their heart and nothing to transform their lives. He's just saying, no, they, they, they were not regenerated. They were not born again. And um, so the answer to the question, can you lose your salvation? No. No, you can't. You can't lose your salvation. Once you are born again, you can't be unborn again. I mean, think about that. That's a drastic change in your life when you're born again. When you're regenerated, when you become a child of God, he's not going to kick you out of his family. Now, you may drift away for a season, but I'll guarantee you, your loving father will discipline you and bring you back. 
I've seen that over and over again. But uh, if you never come back, then there's a problem. And you might have never committed your life to Christ. If you can't earn it, if you can't earn salvation, listen to me, you can't unearn it. You can't unearn it. And, um, and so certainly you look at these signs of what it means to be a believer in Christ, as we talked about, uh, love for God, love for God's people, or love for Jesus Christ, uh, love for God's people, and love for his word. That would be certainly characteristics of that, as I talked about at the very beginning of this study. But uh, here's some thoughts, here's some uh, fill-in-the-blanks for you as it relates to this idea of uh, what are the characteristics of Antichrist. There are those who have gone astray and seek to lead others astray through false teaching. And it's interesting, they've, they've left us, and it's so much for church growth here, trying to keep everybody. He's just saying, no, from time to time, the, cr- the crowd will be thinned. There will be people that will leave. And, and you've got to be okay with that. And, and understand, well, maybe they never really got it in the beginning. And we pray that they, God will eventually get a hold of their lives. But false Christians don't persevere and therefore they abandon the faith. True Christians persevere and therefore don't abandon the faith. I mean, didn't you hear that in in that? He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been, been of us, they would have continued with us. They would have persevered in the faith. They wouldn't have abandoned their faith but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And so I I believe that the greatest threat to the church is not from outside the church, but what is inside the church. I wanted to spend some time on this, and maybe in the future I will talk about seven kinds of false teachers in the church, but let me just list them for you. It's not on your notes, but let me just go through them quickly, and you'll probably be able to identify them. Um, And so uh, there are heretics, people that teach things that are contrary to good orthodox Christianity, there's, there's those that are on the TV, uh, they're, they're major ministries, they make millions of dollars, and so there's plenty of those out there that would be uh, heretics. There are also charlatans that all, all they want is your money. They wouldn't say that, but it's how they manipulate and, and try to control people, charlatans. And then there's false prophets. They talk about... Uh, revelations that they've had from God and and various things like that. And uh, you got to know that there's false prophets. And then there's abusers. And then there's dividers. And then there's ticklers. You guys know what a tickler is? And uh, so they tell you exactly what you want to hear. And there's churches here in the community that are that. They would fit that category. And then there's speculators. They do a lot of speculation. They don't go back to the text. They're not faithful to the text. They speculate about the text and come up with some pretty crazy stuff. I've heard really just, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, where are you getting that? That's not in the text. And they're coming, they come up with all kinds of crazy stuff, and people believe it. And it has a horrible impact on their life. Here's the next fill in the blank for you. They are not overtly contemptible people, but those who twist the truth and propagate lies. Look at verse 22. 
Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. This is the uh, Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son, no one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father. I mean, Jesus made that clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way to God. I am the truth about God. I am the very life of God. And no man comes to the Father but by me. When people claim that they have a relationship with God and they don't know Jesus, they don't have a relationship with God is what he's saying. And um, 1 John 4, 3, in this same letter, listen to what John says. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus, by the way, when we say confess Jesus, in all that implies as established to us through God's word. So the Jesus of the Bible, of course, there are false groups out there that would claim, oh, we got this from the Bible, and when you study it further, you realize, no, you didn't. So you, you need to know the truth. And, and so every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Second John, this is his second letter, Verse 7, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So there are no doubt antichrists even here among us this morning. There are antichrists that are in our neighborhood. There are antichrists among our family and friends. There are, somebody said in Congress, okay. <laughs> antichrist in Congress, in politics. I'll write that one down right here. That's, that's, a, that's a good one. And uh, there are antichrists on TV programs and in movies. There are antichrists as coworkers and even bosses. There's a, a new name to call your boss. <laughs> he, he is an antichrist. So here's the next fill in the blank. There is the essence of the antichrist spirit is to deny or diminish the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that, let me, let me expound on that just a, a little bit. It is to deny or diminish the indescribable greatness and unimaginable goodness of the person and work of Jesus Christ, his deity, his incarnation, his salvation. See, belief is more than an agreement with facts in the head. It's an appetite for God in the heart that exceeds all other appetites. That's when you know you're on track. Oh, you want him more than anything. You love being with him. You love experiencing him in your life. You can't believe you're still in awe and wonder of the fact that you have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's overwhelming in itself. I, I usually start my day uh, before I get out of bed, laying in bed and just reminding myself of what I have in him. I just bask in the reality. And I, I thank him. I said, God, I can't believe that you are with me and you love me and you're going to take care of me throughout this day and you're going to lead me. I don't need to have any anxiety or worry or, or stress. I can rest and trust in you. And that's, that's absolutely, 
Absolutely amazing. And listen to what, how uh, John describes Jesus. He uses some really great descriptive words in this letter. Jesus is the eternal word of God, John 1.1. 1, 1. Jesus is the righteous one. He's the righteous one. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. That's in 1 John 2.1. Jesus is the holy one. That's uh, 2.20. Jesus is the way to the Father. That's 2.23. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. 4.10. Jesus is the Savior of the world. 4.14. Jesus is eternal life. 5.11. Something I wrote down on a card uh, about a month ago, and I, I've been taking it around with me. I've got a number of cards and verses that I'm memorizing and meditating on, but this particular one just talks about the gospel, just reminding myself of the gospel. And uh, I stole this from Ricky Bills when he spoke at the very last message of this last year, but I, I paraphrased it and kind of changed it a little bit because he was quoting from, from another guy. But I really liked it. I, I, this is the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the true story that Jesus has defeated sin, death, and evil through his life, death, and resurrection and is making all things new, starting with us, if we will repent and believe in him. And on the back side of this, this is what I, I, I wrote down. When you truly grasp the gospel in all of its beauty, glory, and richness, it will cause you to be stopped in your tracks, fall on your knees and cry out to God in wonder, love, and praise. That's normal Christianity. When he captures your heart, all of who he is, his person, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, to see Christ as more desirable and satisfying than anything else in this world, because that's the essence of the Christian life, that you begin to see Christ, he's more desirable, he's more satisfying than anything you've ever known or experienced. To see Christ as more desirable and satisfying than anything in this world is a battle. Now listen to what it tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 3 through 5. He talks about this battle. He gives us some insight into this battle. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have, listen to, to, what, he says, to what he says, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, so all this false teaching, false prophets, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So we've got to constantly look at our lives and make sure that our lives are lining up with God's word. And uh, therefore we can save ourselves and our hearers in doing that. Now this is what you need to keep in mind, who you are, listen to me, who you are as a Christian can be no better or no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head. So let me ask you this question. Here's a test. The, the group last night didn't do very well on this test, and I, I've got greater hopes here for this group. So you can answer it out loud to me. Uh, 
what the answer is. What kind of thoughts are anxious people thinking? Anxious thoughts. Did you guys get that over here? Okay. Anxious people are thinking anxious thoughts. What about angry people? What kind of thoughts are angry people thinking? Angry thoughts. Okay, you guys are catching on here. What kind of thoughts are depressed people thinking? Depressing thoughts. I'm like, it's almost too basic, isn't it? What kind of thoughts are happy, rejoicing people thinking? Happy and rejoicing thoughts. Let me, let me say that statement again. Who you are as a Christian can be no better or no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head. But here's the problem. The true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when nothing else is demanding your attention. Let me say it another way. The things you daydream about in your spare time are ultimately the things you worship and serve. And when I began to know that and understand that and became more mindful, I began to practice mindfulness, and that that is thinking about what you're thinking about. Why does my mind always go back to that? Why am I always thinking about that conversation that I had why am I always dominated by, by a concern for my kids or my grandkids rather than being dominated by, by Christ and who he is? And it began to make all the difference in my life as I began to do that. And it's quite scary because I realized, oh my goodness, all I think about is work. Or all I think about is, so I, I'm a workaholic, I'm a, a people pleaser. I thought about conversations I had and how I should have done better with those conversations. I began to say, man, that's dominating my thoughts What dominates your thoughts stirs your deepest emotions and moves you to action. It'll tell you a whole lot about what's most important to you. It's terribly scary, too, when you begin to discover it. You go, because you can say you're a follower of Christ and he's everything to you. He's more desirable and satisfying than anything in this world. But underneath that, there could be something more functional in your life, something that's more desirable and satisfying than Christ, where we're trying to get our sense of identity. The Apostle Paul says that our job in this battle is to destroy strongholds, these these false ideas about God. A stronghold is anything that denies or diminishes the seeing and the savoring and the showing of the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ consistent with God's word. Now, here's a couple different ways that you can identify uh, these strongholds. It can be a worldview such as materialism, hedonism, Darwinism, secularism, relativism, communism, atheism. And I hear, I've heard a number of churches, even in our community and nationally, teaching moralism, pragmatism, and, and there are also those churches that lean towards legalism, and there's those that lead, lean towards liberalism. Those become strongholds in our lives. All the different isms are strongholds that people set up against the knowledge of God, the Antichrist. Here's another way you can identify these strongholds. It can also be a personal attitude. Worry, bitterness, complaining, fear, guilt, shame, insecurity, All of those can be strongholds. Seeking the approval of of other people can be a stronghold. Anything that you love more than Christ can be a stronghold. And the Bible says that we are to tear them down. So how do we do that? Here it is. 
How do we protect ourselves against deception? And let me read from verse 20 all the way to 27. We'll just kind of walk through that, and I'll give you the last few fill-in-the-blanks here. And so he says in verse 20, but you have been anointed. So he's talking about all these antichrists, beware of the antichrist, but he says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. Here's what he's saying. You have the Holy Spirit is what he's saying. And you have knowledge. You know the truth. You've heard the gospel. You know the essential beliefs of the Christian faith. But because you know it and because no lie is of the truth, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. So it's one thing to know the truth, to know what you believe. It's altogether another to let it abide in you, to live and dwell in you to know it like the back of your hand, and therefore your response to the circumstances of life comes from a biblical worldview and, uh, and not from any of these other worldviews that we talked about there. And so, so I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie, no, no lie is of the truth. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. He's just saying, you're going to have intimacy with God. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing, in other words, the Holy Spirit that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, that almost sounds like, what? You don't have any need for someone to teach you. He's not talking about himself. He's not talking about the the doctrine that they already know. He's just saying all these Gnostic people, that was what he was coming up against. There was these people that had these deeper truths about God. Oh, you're not really spiritual unless you understand this. Here's the key to all that you need to know about God. There's guys out there and they've written books like that. Like they have some deeper revelation of God. He says you don't need them. You already have all that you need in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. So that's the point that he's making here. But as his atoning, as his anointing teaches you, as the Holy Spirit teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So let me give you some fill in the blanks here. So so how do we defend ourselves against deception? And here's the first thing. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. So anybody that comes up with, they got new insight and new revelation. Here's a magic pill that will change your life. Here's a way to pray that will take you deeper into into Christ. No, you already know what you need to do. You already have that. You have the Holy Spirit. And listen to what he says. So in verse 20, he says, you you all have knowledge. Verse 21, you know the truth. Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning dwell in you. Verse 27, you have no need of someone to teach you. So cults and antichrist claim some special revelation beyond the original one of the apostles or the scriptures. Or they claim to have uh, specially inspired prophets who give the hidden interpretation of the Bible. And I'm not saying that God can't speak to us, but I'll guarantee you when he speaks to us, it'll be consistent with the word, with what the Bible teaches. 
And, and so we need to be more like the Bereans than the Thessalonians, as it tells us in 1711 of Acts. They were more noble than the Thessalonians because listen to what they did. They studied the scriptures daily to make sure that what Paul, think about this, the apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, but they made sure that what the apostle Paul was teaching was truly the word of God. You always go back to God's word, and it's through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so nothing will protect you and give you eternal life like the spirit of God working through the word of God, illuminating the person and work of the Son of God. That's your next couple fill in the blanks. Nothing, nothing will protect you and give you eternal life like the Spirit of God working through the Word of God, illuminating the person and work of the Son of God. So, so when you study God's Word, that's what you're asking for the Holy Spirit to illuminate His Word. Make it real to my heart. May Christ become so real to me that I'm, I don't give way to temptation or overwhelmed by trials, that Christ is for me, he loves me, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And when people have no theological depth and no vital experience of the Holy Spirit, they are sitting ducks for being led astray from God. And so your best defense against the lies in your head and in this world is the Holy Spirit-inspired rehearsal of truth in your heart. Here's, here's how the Holy Spirit will lead you. As I've heard people say, oh, that was the Holy Spirit. No, I don't think it is. And I've said that, and uh, I said, I think you're missing it. And the Holy Spirit will not change or take you beyond the teaching of the apostles, the scriptures. The Holy Spirit will help you to accept and abide in that teaching. The Holy Spirit will help you to grow in your understanding of that teaching. The Holy Spirit will strengthen you with power to practice that teaching. The Holy Spirit will increase your confidence in the truth of that teaching. And in essence, this is what the Holy Spirit is up to. Jesus said this before he was going to exit this planet Earth, before he was going to die on the cross, John 16, 14. He says, the Holy Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so this is what we need to do. I'm gonna be real practical here with this last point. So how do, you, how do you do this? Therefore, we should let the word of God abide in us, that's verse 24, and we abide in the spirit of God. Now, by the way, the DB women's ministry is, is challenging all the women here in the church to let the word of God abide in you. They're doing memory verses every month, and you can see the bulletin insert or go to the information table for more of that. But Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. The word, his words. Ephesians 5.18 through 19 talk about being filled with the spirit. So how do we abide in the spirit of God and abide in the word of God? Let me give you two ways. This is your take home. This is what you need to practice every day. And it's the best defense against the lies that are all around us. Abide in the Spirit of God. How? Conversational prayer. Conversational prayer. You abide in Him. And how do you abide in the Word of God? Concentrated focusing on His Word. That's why I take cards around with me. Let me, let me demonstrate this to you. This, both of these ideas are found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 uh, six through eight. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you memorized these words. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. 
and you kind of know that you've done that. You've kind of turned it over to God and you're trusting him because he goes on, he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You'll have a peace that goes beyond your understanding in spite of the circumstances or the people or the things in your life. And, and that's, that's conversational prayer. Practice his presence, conversational prayer. And then he goes on. He doesn't stop there. He says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So he's just saying, you need to guard your heart. You need to think about the things you're thinking about and make sure they line up with whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. If there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. God's word is our best resource for that. And so conversational prayer, concentrated to focus on God's word. Do that every day. And that will protect you more and more from all the lies of the Antichrist in our lives. Next weekend, we're going to talk about, we're going to move into the, this idea, the characteristics of, of intimacy with God, fellowship. And we're going to talk about a purity of life. First John chapter 2, verse 28, all the way to chapter 3. Verse 3, my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is 3.1 of uh, 1 John. For you, know, for you know the love of our, uh, for you, I can't even quote it now. Anyway, look it up. It's a good one. Okay. And uh, my wife and I will be up front at the end of the service if you need uh, if you're new, we would love to meet you. If you need prayer for any particular reason, we would love to pray with you. Let's pray. So Father God, give us corporately a sense of urgency that we are running out of time and people's lives are hanging in the balance for all eternity. Help us to see the battle that rages for the hearts and lives of people all around us. Help us to see more clearly that our beliefs, our beliefs have consequences. Lies will enslave us but the truth of your word will set us free. So may we abide in your Holy Spirit through conversational prayer, and may your word abide in us through concentrated focusing as, as strongholds are destroyed in our lives. May we be people who see and savor and show the beauty and the glory of our Savior in, in all circumstances. We pray these things in his beautiful name, and everyone said... Amen. Love you guys. God bless you.